0: So please consider this your warning, that it's not suitable for children, and it probably will contain content that may be triggering to some people. Also, it's an Australian true crime podcast, so Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners should be aware it may contain the voices of deceased people.
2: The producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal Elders past, present and those emerging.
4: Tony Ryan's sister, Marsha, disappeared in 1996 after leaving her Melbourne home. Marsha told her family she was going on a road trip with her dog Ziggy to see their parents in Queensland. But as you'll hear from Tony... Marsha's car was found abandoned in the Latrobe Valley in Victoria. No sign of Marsha or Ziggy. Tony's been relentless in trying to find out what happened to Marsha, who was 33 when she vanished. Could she be living off the grid somewhere in Australia? She'd done it before when she was younger. Did someone kill her? Why did she leave home so abruptly? Tony wonders a number of things. Did the smell of marijuana that her housemate had been smoking trigger a trauma response in Marsha, who had experienced mental ill health and drug use in her late teens and early 20s? Why was her car found where it was? In the different direction to Queensland, like he thought she was heading? There's a number of theories that Tony has explored in the absence of any new information. Tony's story is detailed in Nicole Morris's book Vanished. We spoke to Nicole for a recent episode, And he joined ATC to talk about the impact of having a missing sibling and why he won't give up trying to find Marsha.
3: We have five children in our family, the mum and dad, five kids, and the five of us were born in a six-year period. So we're all very close. Uh, When my brother Paul turned five, he had four younger siblings. I'm number four. Marsha was number five. Paul, who lives in northern New South Wales, is the eldest. Diane and Mark was the middle child, number three. And he passed away in 2016 at the age of 55. And mum and dad have since passed away. Mum in 2006, dad in 2013. So we just had what I would call just the average Australian family life in the suburbs of Melbourne. So we got through our teenage years and... Diane and Marcia got on very well, the two sisters. There's about three years between them. And they used to go to parties together. When Diane got a license, she'd pick Marcia up and take her. Then when Diane was 20, she got killed in a car accident. A 16-year-old drunk driver stole a car from the MCG at the grand final and hit my sister head on in Danong North. My sister was driving four people home from a party, about 200 metres away from the party, been hit head on, and Marcia was at that party. Somebody came into the party and said, uh, there's been an accident down the road. It's terrible. and They said what well, the car was in it, and Marcia instantly knew it was Diane's car. So she ran down there and she got there before the ambulance and the police arrived. My sister was dead in the driver's seat. So Marcia, as a 17-year-old, has been co- confronted with her sister dead in, in the car. And things changed. When people experience trauma, you don't know how it's going to play out and when it's going to come back. So Marcia ended up moving to northern New South Wales to a place called Dondinolong, living in a shack, basically off-grid, in the middle of the bush, in the middle of nowhere in northern New South Wales. So when she went off there, I know Mum and Dad weren't happy about where she was living and what she was doing up there. My brother Paul was living up near there, so he was sort of like half-keeping an eye, on her. he knew where she was. And, and after a couple of years, Marcia had a breakdown, and she ended up in the psych ward at Lismore Hospital and in, in northern New South Wales. Complete psychosis. She would have been between 19 and 22 years of age. Paul Raynan said, Marcy's in a bad way. I've had to get her admitted to hospital. So we got Marcy back to Melbourne. She ended up in the psych ward at Wilsmere, Took about 18 months of treatment to get her right again, which is a long time to be in in one of those sort of wards and she came good. So things got back on track. Marcy's life got back on track. She bought herself a house, was paying a mortgage, bought herself a motorbike, which she used to ride through the hills, through the Danongs, and travel around. Lived in Seaford near the beach, so she used to walk her dog Ziggy on the beach all the time. It was sort of her quiet space where she could go after work and on weekends. And... On weekends, she'd ride the motorbike, come over and visit me and my kids, because I had three young children at the time. And everything was going along all right. She'd go and visit mum and dad. Mum and dad moved to Wonturner. Then she got engaged to a guy named Neil. Uh, Neil was a plumber. His brother was a cop. And things were actually going okay. Marcy, is, she would have been about 30 years of age, and she got a thyroid problem where she had to have her thyroid removed. And having it removed affects your hormones uh, in fairly major ways. So they had to cut her neck open, remove the thyroid, and then she had to go into medication for thyroid. Now, somewhere in amongst all this, her relationship with Neil went off the rails um, in that they were no longer engaged. So meanwhile, Marcy was going off to work every day and walking her dog on the beach and going out with family and friends. She took up belly dancing as an activity. And good luck to her. I don't know whether she's any good at it because I never saw her do it, but I've still got a costume at home. <laughs> and then... She started to say a few strange things uh, in in our conversations about her past coming back and, uh, you know, I normally have the beach to myself at this time of year and now there's people on the beach that I don't like and things like that. A bit of paranoia kicking in, which had a bit of a ring to it from her breakdown 10, 15 years earlier. There was slight signs of it and it was like, oh, that's a bit strange. Okay, Oh, she's going along okay, so we get on with our own lives. And then my mum rings me on the 19th of August, 1996, and says, oh, I just spoke to Marcia, and she doesn't sound well. Can you go down and check on her? And I said, no, oh, I'm at work at the moment. I'll go after work. And she goes, no, I need you to go down now. Mark's already on his way down there. And I said, well, if Mark's on his way down there, he can deal with it. <laughs> and I just sort of brushed it off, you know. I said, don't worry about it. Mark will deal with it. And then in hindsight, I probably should have got off my ass and gone down there. We all carry a little bit of guilt Is in, why didn't I go down there? It's only seafood. I could have taken a day off work. No big deal. I could have just left work. You know, is work actually that important at the end of the day? So Mark was going down there to deal with it. And I thought, I'll go down there after work. You know, No drama. And after work, I spoke to Mark. And Mark said, uh, I've got her to go and have a sleep. And I said, well, she's sleeping. I'm not coming down there. So I didn't bother going down there. And then I get a call later, might have been the next day, Mark said, Marcy took off. And I said, oh, what do you mean she took off? And he goes, well, and she tried to run me over in the driveway because I wouldn't get out of the way and she took off. And I said, where's she going? And she said, oh, I was going to visit mum and dad on the Gold Coast because mum and dad spent four months of every year during the winter on the Gold Coast, they had a unit right across the beach at Surface Paradise. So Marcy was heading up there and I thought, well, good luck to her. Yeah, I didn't think too much of it. I thought she's going up to see mum and dad, you know, she's got a car, got a dog. So where'd she take with her? He said nothing, just the dog. All right. Well we'll wait a couple of days for her to get to Queensland and hopefully she'll be all right. A couple of days later mum rang and said, She still hasn't arrived and I said, Well, you know, she might have stopped somewhere to have a sleep and, you know, usual stuff. How long does it take to get to Queensland when you're driving on your own? So I said, All right, I'll go down to her house. I'll check that she hasn't come home, like changed her mind, had turned around and gone home. So I had one of the guys from work with me, a guy named Martin. We went down there, nothing in the house, no one in the house. No one had been there. I thought, okay. So I went home. Next night, mum rings, Marcy hasn't turned up. I said, that's right. She might have turned around and come home. I'll go down. So the next day we went down to her house. So we did this each day. So she took off on the Monday night, late. Went down with Mark on Thursday and then when I went down on the Friday, there was um, some stuff on our answering machine. There was a guy from um, a country town down, down in Gippsland that rang and said, "Ah, oh, Marcia, I found your wallet. You might be looking for your wallet. I found it. This is my name. This is my phone number. This is my address. I've got your wallet here. Come and get it whenever you want. And I thought, why's this guy got Marcia's wallet? And why is he got it in Gippsland if she's heading to the Gold Coast? Because if you go to the Gold Coast via Gippsland, you, you add on another 500-odd kilometres. I thought, that's not good. So that night I went to the police and said, my sister's missing, this guy down in Gippsland's got a wallet. I said, something's not right. And they looked up on, the, on their screen and said, oh, her card's been flagged twice by Maui police and twice by Morwell police. And I thought, well, what's she doing in Gippsland? I thought, why is she hanging around Maui and Morwell? So that was really odd. And he said, oh, you'll have to report at Seaford Police because that's where she lived. And I was at Boronia Police Station because that was my local police station. So I thought, all right. So I thought, okay, tomorrow morning when I get up, I'll go down to Seaford Police and I'll report it again at Seaford Police. So on the Saturday morning I got up, I stopped at a house, listened to her answering machine, there's a message from Vic Road saying, Marcia, your car's here in, on the side of the highway, more well in a dangerous position. If the car's not removed, we'll impound it. And I thought, oh, that's not good. Because if the car's been on the side of the road for a few days, that means the car's not moving, then where uh-huh. the hell is So then I went to Seaford Police and they said, well, if the car's down at Maui and Morwell, you need to go and see Maui Police. So then I went down to Maui and I had my work colleague with me, Martin, and we went down to Maui Police and they said, oh, it was last reported by Morwell Police, you'll have to go to Morwell Police. So Morwell's 13 kilometres past Maui. So by this stage, we'd driven past the car because on the way to Murray Police, I thought, well, if it's down there on the side of the highway, I'll just drive along the highway until I find it. So I found the car, it was locked, I went to Murray Police. They said, go to Mobile Police. So I went to Mobile Police and they said, oh, I can't really help you at this time. If you're going to move the car, just get it moved. And I said, well, I want to see, my sister's missing, I want to see if, she, if she's in the boot. And they gave me this funny look and said, well, just break into it. I said, well, I break into it with him. And he gave me a coat hanger. So I thought, okay. <laughs> So my view was, well, fuck you guys. I'll go down there and I'll break into the car myself. So me and Martin, we went down and we broke into the car. using their coat hanger. There's nothing in the car. No sign of anything in the car. Dog's not there either? Dog's not there. Nothing there. But now it's like, I don't know, sometime in the afternoon. And I've got a wallet. I picked it up from the guy in Trafalgar. And I said to him, where'd you come by the wallet? And he told me it was back near Darnham. Now, just for geography... When you're leaving, going from Melbourne, you go through Darnham before you get to Trafalgar, before you get to Moi, before you get to Morwell, right? in that order. And Darnham's about 20 kilometres before where Marcy's car was found.
4: And her car was found in Mowie area? Between Mowie and Morwell. Yep.
3: About 2K past Moi, 11K before Morwell. When I went back there to see where he got the wallet, I pulled over to where he said there's a little gravel patch on the median strip. So, not on the left hand side, in the media strip between the two divided sections of the highway, it'd be 50 meters wide. And when I got out there, I found remnants of other cards of hers. So, I knew I was in exactly the right spot where he found the wallet. So, I grabbed the other couple of cards that were on the ground and thought, that's not good because the only way the wallet could have ended up there is if it's thrown out of the driver's window and the person is driving in the right hand lane. It definitely looked like, to me, It's come out the driver's window and it couldn't be somebody driving towards Melbourne because you can't, you wouldn't be able to fling a wallet 50 metres. So this is on the Saturday. So then I got home on the Saturday night and i have been out tracking down her car, wallets, trying to work out what the hell's going on. And then Saturday night the homicide squad called me and said, I believe you've got a missing sister. I said, yeah. And I told them what I'd done that day. I said I reported it to different police stations and whatever and they wouldn't help me. And So the last known sighting we've got that the police have verified is after midnight on the Monday night, on Monday night, Tuesday morning at about 12.30. She spoke to a truck driver on the side of the road after she had left her car. So the truck driver's come past on the highway, spotted the car, it's raining, spotted the car in its bend in this cutting, gone about 100 metres up the road and spotted Mars in, pulled over and offered her help, and he said Marcy was in a distressed state and refused help. So he made a note, and his truck was also GPS tracked by, I think it was Woolworths that he was working for. So he made note of it, and on tracking back, the police have verified that he never deviated off his trip. So that's always been the last known sighting that we had of Marcia was that truck driver. And something else has changed since then, which isn't in the book, because I haven't been able to verify it. But since then, a a gentleman named says that he saw her the next day at her car with the keys on the bonnet of the car, talking to two other people in a white XD Ford, I think he said. And he saw her talking to these people in a nice sort of way at the vehicle the next morning at about 8am. And now come forward about two years ago to me and said, I saw your sister at the car the next morning. And I told the police this over 20 years ago. And I said, well, we've never heard that story. This is nothing. And he said, it's been bugging me ever since.
1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com
3: slash host. The original detectives were very good. And for the first few months, they pulled out all stops. They had people on horseback checking the bush. They set up things on the sides of the road. They got media attention to it. And then after a while, it just, disappears and the response disappears and they wait and they wait and they wait for new information. Five years later, they did a coroner's inquest.
4: What was the finding? Yeah,
3: it was that she died on or or around the 19th of August 1996 to person or persons unknown.
4: And the 19th, was that the day? Monday night.
3: They're saying she's dead. At that stage, mum, dad and me and we were hoping she's still alive. (laughs) We got a coroner telling us that she's dead. So um, that was devastating. For mum and dad, for me, it was like, well, you can rule whatever you like. That's not what I believe, so yeah. I'll stick to what I believe. My view, and this is my view, I've always felt Marcia took off and wanted to get away. But because she lived off-grid in along for a number of years when she had a breakdown years beforehand, Marcia going to live in a shack in the bush wasn't out of my way of thinking. Wanted to get away from things. Life was becoming hard with mortgages and motorbike loan repayments and... She's mentally tough and her dog was getting old. I don't know. I still a thought that maybe she just left. So another story that's come out recently, a lady from Trafalgar, an elderly lady from Trafalgar, her daughter contacted me and said, Mum saw a news article about your sister on the TV and said, oh, they'll never find her because I know where her body's buried. So I spoke to... And... Convinced her to let me speak to her mother. And we, after a few days, we convinced her mother to speak to the police. And supposedly, as the story goes, is a year or two after Marcy went missing, her brother-in-law came home one day and she said he didn't look well, looked white as a sheet, and he told him the story about he saw a couple of mounds in the, he was going to plant some dope plants in an area of Mundara State Forest, 30 kilometres inland from the Moe Morwell turn-offs where Marcy's car was. And he dug up one of the graves and found a dog. And there was a lady's hand sticking out of the grave next to it. This is what he's telling the elderly lady that lives in Trafalgar and the elderly lady in Trafalgar and her husband went to find this area and couldn't find it. She got really worried about even going in there. So she went to the police station, sat in the police station for about an hour and a half and none of the police would talk to her. So she got up and left and never told him her story. Since that, a bushfire's been through the area and the whole area has changed and she can't recognise the area that her brother-in-law was talking about. So one of my tasks, being a sibling, because the police have been down there with her and have said there's 7,000 hectares there and we're not searching the whole 7,000 hectares. So one of my tasks when I retire probably later this year is to go search in Mundara State Forest, looking for a, a body that may or may not be there. I've bought the... Uh, metal detector already. I don't know how to use it. I'm looking for Ziggy's dog collar and and Marcy's ring or necklace. I'm hoping one of them will pop up on the metal detector. That's all I'm looking for because I've got nothing that can scan for bones. If you're listening to this podcast, Marcy, make contact. I'll tell you off for running away, but other than that, give you a hug at the same time. If anybody knows anything that's not already on the public record, feel free to contact me. You'll get a response.
4: Thanks to our guest, Tony Ryan. If you have any information to share about Marsha or any other missing person, phone Crimestoppers on 1800 333 000. If
0: you need support after listening to this podcast, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact 1800 RESPECT on 1800 737 732 or 1800respect.org.au. Indigenous Australians can contact 13yarn on 139276 or 13yarn.org.au. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. Protect
1: your dream home with American family insurance. And you can weather any storm.